Uh, my name is Chris Puhatch. I'm one of the associate pastors. Pastor Ray and Fran are on their uh, study break vacation. I think they're back shortly after next weekend. And the other Chris is now on vacation as well, so I get to preach on character this weekend. And uh, some of the, the people who were going to preach during the series were lobbying for different topics to do. And there were certain ones we uh, felt like we couldn't do because we hadn't grown enough in that area. And there were certain ones that we really wanted to preach on. I wanted to preach on patience. And that's where we're going to go this morning because I used to be a very impatient person and now I feel that I've grown in that. I'm not perfect yet by any means, but I've experienced both sides of, of life there, of living very impatiently and now uh, some measurement of patience. So that's what we're going to talk about. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. So he mentions that as one of the things we're supposed to put on. And uh, uh, Chris, a couple weeks ago, used this passage. He talked about it. And we need to ask a question, first of all, here, before we even talk about patience. And that is, why does he use certain words in here? And one of the things I love doing is when I read my Bible, and this is how we can make our Bible reading alive, is by actually meditating on individual words. And it says that we're dearly loved. Now, why would the Holy Spirit inspire him to say that when he's talking about character? and how we're supposed to live, I believe it's because we need to be reminded regularly that God loves us. And when he calls us to godly character, for example, he's not doing it to make us miserable, but he's doing it because he knows it's good for us. And if we just look at impatience for a second, being an impatient person is a horrible way to live. It's not fun, is it? I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but it's not enjoyable to be impatient. And so when God says, you need to be compassionate, kind, humble, all these things, he's inviting us to a life of abundance out of his love for us. It's not a threat. It's not a huge burden he's trying to put on us. He actually is saying, I want you to have a life where there's joy and there's peace in it. And if we have godly character, we will have those things. It's powerful at the end of the day to be able to say, I've done well. I've done well. I haven't messed up. I haven't uh, flown off the handle today. I haven't hurt someone. And so that's why God calls us to this out of his love for us. But that's not it. It says we're also God's chosen people, holy. Holy means set apart. So we need to ask, what are we set apart for? What are we chosen for? And it's nothing less to represent him in this world. That's what we're called to. So our character will tell people what God's like. And you might think, well, I don't I don't like that, actually. Uh, it doesn't matter if we like it or not. That is what happens. And this week, God took me to the story of Jonah and how Jonah ran from his calling. Most people here would know that story. And we all know how that worked out for him when he ran from his calling. And many times when I hear of what God's looking for out of my life, I want to kind of run away from it. I'd like to choose a different calling. But that's not the choice that we have. The scriptures are clear that we are called to godliness because people are going to make decisions about him based on how we act. Oh, that's, that's a huge one, right? It says in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, now of course, like, there's no one perfect in this church. At least in this church, there isn't anybody perfect that I've met. But that's our aim, is to be like our Father. And of course, he's patient. I often say, if he wasn't patient, uh, we wouldn't be here. Uh, because we, he would have destroyed us. And so we're supposed to be perfect like him or move towards that. Titus chapter 2, verse 5. 
I'll just give you the context here. Paul's giving advice to Titus, who is a leader in the church, and, and he's talking about character in, in chapter 2 of Titus, and he says, younger women should be like this, and he gives a bunch of characteristics, purity, they should live lives of honor and all of that kind of stuff. Then he finishes his thought. He says, this is why younger women should be people of character, so that no one will malign the word of God. The word malign there means to blaspheme. If we aren't people of character, we blaspheme the word of God. What does that really mean? That means when people hear stuff about God, they will decide whether to follow it or not, partly, not completely, partly based on our character. Oh boy, that puts a different perspective on our character, doesn't it? Puts a huge uh, calling on our lives. Later on in chapter 2, Paul says this. He's actually talking in this circumstance to slaves. He's addressing slaves. And we don't have slaves in our culture, but we do have employees. And please don't quote me after the service uh, or next week to your employer and say, I'm a slave. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But I think there's a parallel. He says, slaves or employees act in godliness. Why? So that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So if we're people of integrity, like Chris talked about last week, or humble people, patient people, will make the teaching about God more attractive. It doesn't guarantee people are going to give their lives to Christ, but it makes it more likely. A couple weeks ago, I met uh, a woman who was thinking about coming here to Southland, and it was a wonderful conversation. She had never been here before, but she had come to the parking lot twice on a weekend, but didn't have the courage to come in. She was really nervous about, about coming in. So she got up the courage during the week, and she came in, and we were talking. And towards the end of our conversation, she had shared, she had shared about how much spiritual confusion she had had because of the, uh, her and her husband had been involved in the Jehovah Witness uh, cult. And so they were involved in that. And so she said, okay, I'm re- I want to f- get answers. This is what she said right at the end. She says, I just hope the people who come here are not different when they leave the building. It was a question of character. And this is a person with spiritual confusion. She will be making decisions based on how we act in the, in the community. So there's a lot at stake here. And this is why I believe the Holy Spirit has had us camp in this area of character for so many weeks. This is week eight next weekend. There will be another message on character. So let's pray, knowing that there's so much at stake. Let's pray and ask God to work in us here. God, sometimes I wonder how uh, to completely do justice to uh, your call on our lives and what your word says. And so right now, even as the one speaking, I just submit uh, the message and the reception of this to the work of your Holy Spirit. And I want to pray, God, that you will grow us and that that truth that sets us free will be revealed to our minds and our hearts, God. And I really pray, God, that, that there will be many, many uh, people who have come this weekend or here in this group right now that uh, will not be able to leave this thought that our character is so important. Um, God, would you even hound us with that? I invite you to do that so that we uh, strive for godliness uh, in our lives. So I just invite you to do that, God. Thank you for the wonderful work you do in our services. Uh, we give you credit and praise for that. And so we just, in faith, ask for that again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So patience. Um, What happens when we're patient? That's really the question I want to zero in on here. What is the fruit of patience? I I guess I want to motivate us to grow in patience and 
And again, as we often talk about, we preach ourselves into this as well. And so that's why we get excited when we, we preach is because we're trying to, trying to convince ourselves as well to grow in these things. And so why should we be patient people? Well, one of the reasons is because we'll actually grow in wisdom. We'll become wiser people. We'll make better decisions if we're patient. And we'll also be respected by others. Now, I just want to answer an objection right here. Some might say, but isn't that selfish to grow in wisdom and and to be respected, to have that desire, not if we're going to use it for good purposes. And I think every one of us would like to make better decisions. I think that's, that's a universal. 100% of us want to make better decisions. Uh, Chris Dirksen and I are always talking about, we're in this competition, who can be wiser? <laughs> and uh, we kind of joke about it, but wisdom is a good thing to have. And right now, uh, the way our competition is going is, is we're, we're trying to see who can have white hair the soonest. Because it's a sign of wisdom for men, Right? And so I'm ahead. Like if you, if you come up to me after the service and look real close to my goatee, I've got quite a bit of white. And so, so I'm winning right now. Now Chris Dirksen cannot grow facial hair. So, so, so I, I'm really ahead of him here. I'm also a little bit older. So. But that's an outward form of wisdom. And uh, of course that doesn't really help us that much. But the, the inner wisdom, making good decisions... And I, I will just talk about relationships for a second here. We always talk about relationships because that's, that's our life. We're in relationships. Proverbs 14.29 says, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. And, and here's what happens. Um, and, and here's what happens inside of us. Again, I'm going to be able to describe this really well because I've, I've lived in patience. We're, we're wired in a way, and it's, it's, our, it's not how God created us, but it's our sinful nature. We're wired to make decisions right away, to act right away. And we live in a culture that feeds that. And so, so we face a challenge in a relationship or an opportunity, and we want to act right away. Everything in us cries out, i got to make a decision. i got to respond to what they said. i got to respond to what they did. And we often respond in a hasty way, make false judgments, false assumptions, and we act, and we make fools of ourselves. And we get into relationship conflict. Uh, this is one of the things I've done many times. And then respect. We want respect. There's so many books out there that say men want respect. And I believe women want respect as well. Well, men, do we get respect if we're walking around the house impatient all the time? Doesn't work. I know. We've shared, my wife and I have shared our testimony of early in our marriage. And I always said to Carolyn, I even used the words, why don't you respect me more? But if I was flying off the hand all the time, that's not respectable. And so if we would just wait sometimes and not respond, it's difficult to wait, but if we would do that, it would help. Here's what it sounds like, the impatience. And sometimes we use these very words. I can't believe they said this. I can't believe they said this. And we don't stop there, because as soon as we go down that road and make that quick judgment, we begin to add other assumptions to it, don't we? I can't believe they said that. If they said that, they must mean that. And if we have wounds that aren't healed... Oh my goodness, it just builds. can't believe they said this. They must have meant this. They don't love me. If they don't love me, all the wounds start to come out again. When we act rationally, that's what happens. Or, I can't believe they did that. Or, I can't believe they didn't do that. We faced a situation recently. Somebody was visiting our home. I just come back to work. When I come back from work, usually I'm not extremely talkative. I, I usually like to change first and get into more comfortable clothes, that kind of stuff. Somebody was visiting and they left right after and they, they communicate to my wife, oh, Chris doesn't like, like me because 
because he didn't talk to me. And so a quick assumption, everybody's like, oh, you know, um, that's what happens. And, and, and again, we, we, we just go on that train of false assumptions, and it causes problems. Proverbs says, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. I'm going to give you an example where I did this. Do you want to hear an example of where I was a fool? Would you like to hear that? Yeah. All right. There are some people who said yes there. I don't think I've ever seen them move in a service <laughs> before, so that was quick. <laughs> a number of years ago, my wife and I were leading, leading this event, and, and uh, we, we, there were certain people expected of that, and there was one person um, that wasn't very consistent at showing up to things, so I, I said to my wife already in the afternoon, oh, I bet they're not going to be show, show up, okay? Right away, again, rash, quick uh, uh, judgment and assumption. So we got to the event, and already I was worked up a little bit while they didn't show up. During that evening, uh, I would go to my wife whenever there was a spare moment, and I would vent. Uh, Have you ever vented before? Has anybody else ever done that? Okay, I I was venting to her. Can't believe it. You know, they did it again. And we went home, and of course, you vent more, right? At home, because nobody else hears except your family. So we vented more. The next morning, there was another leader from that ministry, and I vented to them, and I felt justified. This wasn't a rash judgment I didn't feel because this was a pattern in their life. And so I said to this leader, you know what, we need to do something about this. This person needs to change. They probably said something like, they have weak character. And I used that last night's example. See, look at last night. They had said to me, they probably were going to come and look at what happened. And so I felt really good about myself and that I was right about this. And later that afternoon, I found out that they had missed that evening because their dad had suffered a heart attack. And that's foolish. <laughs> That's what happens when we're impatient. And, and I just didn't have the full information um, at that point. And so some of you might be thinking, well, what if our judgments are right? What if somebody needs to change? This person actually needed to change. They really did. They, they needed greater integrity in their life, no doubt about it. Don't make a commitment and not follow through. But what if, so shouldn't we say something? Yes, there are points that we need to speak to people and challenge them. But that's not what I'm worried about this weekend. Our tendency is to still... Be impatient, even when a person needs to change. And we justify, we use words like, I'm just helping them. I love them so much, I need to tell them (laughs) that they need to improve, right? And there is a place for that. But if we don't wait and seek the Lord on it, we make a mess of it. We really do. Here's how it works in my life, and I think this is true of all of us, is when we're impatient, even when there's something that needs to be dealt with, when we're impatient, what we do is we speak out of our sinful nature. We act out of our sinful nature, not out of the Spirit. And so we need to pause, wait before we react. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In a sense, we have to rejoice in, in what God has done in our lives and our identity in Christ. And we need to say, boy, I can do great things through Christ. But in another sense, we shouldn't trust ourselves at all. And that's why we need to wait sometimes. And we just, wait, wait. Don't respond to it right away. And if we've trained ourselves to be quick, it's going to take a lot of work to go to the opposite place. What do we do while we're waiting? Psalm 139 gives us great insight. Search me, O God. This is what we pray. Even when we're right and somebody is in the wrong, we pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
there's a little bit of emphasis in there. Me. Search me first. Then respond. And when we give that time, we get wisdom. We get perspective. And, and I'll tell you right now, if you're in a relationship or in a, in a, in a place where people are impatient and used to duking things out, it is hard to start going down this road because they won't want you to wait on the Lord. They won't, they won't be used to it. So I'm just going to paint the picture here. This probably didn't happen this week, but let's say a husband and wife are arguing this past week, okay? And they're impatient with each other. And one person says something, and the other person makes an assumption right away. And they respond based on their assumption, and the other person makes an assumption based on that. That may happen in some of our homes in our church. I don't know. God's working powerfully, but it still may happen, all right? Maybe even this morning. I won't ask for a show of hands on that either. So, okay, that's happening. What if one person were to say, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait on the Lord before I respond. I'm going to pray about what they said. Well, I can guarantee you in most situations, if you're used to being at each other's throat, and you say, I'm going to go pray and search God's heart, they're going to say, you're not going to go pray right now. We're going to settle this now. <laughs> That's what they're going to say, likely. It's going to take a while before people get used to a more patient, godly person. That would be true in our workplaces too, in all those kind of places. But it's worth it. Eventually they'll see the fruit as we speak wiser words and we do wiser things. So great fruit when we show patience. Great wisdom. But that's not, just where, that's not the only place where we see the fruit of patience. It also happens in our finances, in our scheduling, in how we make decisions about our future. If we show patience, we're going to make better decisions there. And, and this is my opinion, and I believe it could easily be confirmed by, by surveys, is most of our financial problems are based on our inability to wait, of, of needing something now. And, and maybe we don't say that. Kids will say that. I want that now. As adults, we learn not to speak it out loud. We just it's in our hearts. But we get into all kinds of financial difficulties. And of course, advertisements drive this. And you might think, oh, it's not that big a deal. Our debt levels are skyrocketing. This is our problem. And it's not going to get any better. It's actually not going to get any better with the financial situation in our society. And so we're going to have to learn to be patient, to restrain ourselves. Children get neglected because people can't wait um, for financial stuff. Then they have to work far more than they need to work. We buy things that become idols. See, time gives us perspective. It always gives us better perspective. There's also get-rich-quick schemes. I mean, look, think of the name there, get-rich-quick. You might think, well, they don't call it that. They use the words in the advertisements, like rich, quick, soon, within six months, all this kind of stuff. And, if, and it, it tempts our impatience. And we listen to it. And, and we'd be dishonest if we, if we were to say we aren't affected by that. You know, this week I was feeling pretty good about this part. I, I thought, you know what, I, I'm in, I've been impatient in many ways, but not usually in finances. So I was feeling a little bit prideful about it, maybe. So I'm out for a walk this week and just praying about the message and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, I got a little bit thirsty. And, and as soon as I got thirsty, I thought, oh, I better buy a drink. And, I, and right there, the Holy Spirit used it to humble me. He said, look at you. And I thought, yeah, the moment... I, just the, the second after I feel a little bit of thirst, if I'm out for a walk, go buy something right away. I need it now. Now that might not seem like a big deal, buying a drink or that kind of stuff, but it creates issues for us. And we end up with what's called financial bondage because of our impatience. 
But when we wait, some wonderful things happen. Really good things happen. First of all, we may realize we don't need to buy what we want. That happens a lot if you wait. You may realize, wait a second, I have no time for that. Or we may actually, as that time goes by, get some more bills and say, oh, that's right, I owe money here and I owe money there. Maybe I don't need that. Wait. I think that's one of the reasons why we don't wait sometimes, because we know what's going to happen when we wait. We're going to realize we don't need it. I mean, we're, we're very, like, the Bible talks so much about deception. I mean, we can deceive ourselves. We got all kinds of techniques of, of ways of justifying things. Another thing that happens when we wait, it's wonderful, and this may be a revelation for you. You may say, this is, this is worth coming this morning. It's possible to buy things with cash if you wait. I know, I know some of you who are younger, like under the age of 50, may not realize you don't need a card to buy something at times, right? If you have cash. And, and there's freedom in being able to buy things with cash. Incredible freedom. And, and of course, don't pay the interest then, right? If, if you're buying something on credit. And some of you might be thinking right now, this sounds wonderful. Certainly, Chris, I agree that's wiser. I, mean, I believe many people regret financial decisions they've made. I know that. But here's the truth. It may seem hopeless. It may seem like you, you can't climb out of it. Like those decisions are going to bind you for the rest of your life. But there is a way out potentially where you can get to the point of being patient and buying things with cash. And we say, how is that possible? It takes us to our next fruit of patience. When we're patient, we leave room for God to work. There's no hopeless situation. Not only are we wiser, we're going to make better decisions in our relationships and our finances, all that kind of stuff. But when we become patient people, like actually patience is who we are, we leave room for God to work. In, in late June and early July, July my wife and, and kids, we went on a holiday for a couple of weeks. We took our holiday a little bit earlier than a lot of staff because we just want to make sure there's enough staff around here in the summer. And so we were out in Alberta and we were doing a bunch of hiking and we had a blast uh, out there and I was really pleased that our kids who are 8 and 10 could do long hikes. I didn't know how much they'd be able to handle. Um, and, but it turns out they're actually already surpassing us. It's just depressing <laughs> already. <laughs> One day my son and I uh, went for a bike ride. Uh, we went 35 kilometers and, and, and I was dead after. Like I was just like, I really didn't even want to go that far, but I rented a bike out there, and so it's kind of like all-you-can-eat buffet. You, you spend the money, you make the most of it. <laughs> so I'm not saying that's a godly principle. I'm just saying that's what I do. So we went biking, and I'm, I'm, I'm dead, and my son's just like, like, Dad, can we go some more? So their stamina was incredible. One day we went on this hike up to this place called Big Beehive. It's above Lake Louise, um, many of you have seen a picture of Lake Louise or been there before. And uh, we went very early in the morning, and I'm not saying this is a spiritual thing to get up early on your holidays. We just get up early. So we left at 5.30 in the morning, okay? So you can sleep in the tent if you want on your holidays. No problem, okay? Bless you, all right? <laughs> okay, I don't want you to feel less than or whatever. But we got up early, and Carolyn didn't come that morning because she wasn't feeling well. And I, I wondered yesterday, I thought about this, oh, was she actually sick or just didn't want to get up at 5.30? I'm not sure. But we headed out. We got there, and I was looking through my, bro, the, my tourist brochure, and, and it said that it should take about two and a half hours to get up and two and a half hours down. So I thought, oh, five hours, that's not bad. We're starting just before six. We'll be done by lunch, back to the hotel by lunch. It's awesome. So we head up this, this mountain, and it's quite steep and breathing heavily. We take little breaks, but we're moving pretty quick. 
And we get up about four kilometers, and four kilometers up, there's a tea house there. It's uh, at a lake called Lake Agnes. And it's beautiful. And we paused there for a little bit, but then we continued on uh, to the place, our destination, Big Beehive. And when we got towards the end, I said to the kids, like, we've only been going an hour and 45 minutes. I said, we've done this way faster than they say a healthy adult should do it. I said, way to go, guys. So we went back to the tea house. Again, nobody around. Beautiful. Wildlife. Great pictures. Uh, me and my son were able to take a bunch of pictures with our shirts off. It was just awesome. <laughs> I mean, huge advantages. Okay? Right? The, I, I mentioned that you service. I, I, I don't know why I did, because I know the picture you get in your mind probably. So. <laughs> but, so, no, okay, something's in my head right now that I'm not going to say. <laughs> It's good that the Holy Spirit, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. There's people praying right now to restrain us from what we're going to say. So, so we, we're enjoying it up there, and I said, well, let's go down. Well, I've never hiked up or down a mountain before, so I thought, why does it take two and a half hours to go down? It's easier down. Well, I found out that, like, because it's so steep, you have to be careful on your way down. Like, you almost have to hold yourself back. And after a little bit, I thought, this is ridiculous. Like, it was getting hard on my back. I found it more strenuous to go slowly. So I said, kids, we're going to run. And, uh, <laughs> which is very easy on a steep mountain. I, I mean, in the sense that you have momentum easily. You don't have to use your body very much to get the momentum. And it was a, it was a blast. We made it down in 35 minutes. And, uh, now, by that time, a lot of tourists were walking up the mountain now. So we occasionally had to slow down not to bowl them over. And to just kind of add joy to it um, was, was towards the bottom, many people would stop and say, oh, you're already coming down? Yeah, yeah, we're coming down. Um, and they would ask how much further it was. And I had so much joy in telling them it's a lot farther still. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I got joy in that. That's not a good part of me. <laughs> now you might think, what, why is he telling the story? We got to the bottom, and I just, I praised the kids. I said, guys, this is incredible. You guys just did a very difficult hike, and you're young, and you got up at 5.30, no complaints whatsoever. I, I just praised them, I praised them, and, and I was proud of our exploits, and so, so there were a lot of people around by that time, and, and I was talking about what we had done loud so other people were, would, would notice what we had done. <laughs> then all of a sudden, we sat down just before we got into the car, and God brought to my mind uh, some verses. Uh, as we headed out to Alberta, we had read through all the verses in the Bible that have the word mountain or mountains in it. We figured that'd be a good thing to do to meditate on those because we're going to the mountains. And, and I said to the kids at that point, I said, you know what? Here we are. We're all excited about like how we made it up that big mountain and everything. I said, you know what? God made that mountain. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, God's the one who gave us the strength to get up there. Even our next breath is dependent on him. And we sat there for a few moments beside Lake Louise, just in awe of how great and big God is. My question for us this morning is, would you rather have yourself working or God, the almighty God, working for you? See, here's the thing. If we want God to work, we need to be patient. A lot of times, we don't see him work in our lives because we don't wait for him. That's the sad thing about impatience. Psalm 33, verse 20 says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. That's what he says. He's our help and our shield. Do we believe that? We'll believe that if we wait on him and experience his power and his might. A lot of us are crying out for more of God. 
a greater and deeper experience of him. And that's a wonderful thing. Then we have to wait. Give him room to work. God will not force his way into our lives. Sometimes out of his sovereignty, God will force his way in. But generally, he doesn't. If we wait on him, he will come. But sometimes it takes a long period of waiting. In Isaiah chapter 26, it says, Yes, Lord, walking the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. When we wait, his name is lifted up. You, you sometimes may wonder, and I've, I've had dry periods in my life too, you wonder, when am I going to be able to praise him in song from deep within? I'll tell you a way to get there. Wait on him and let him work. Oh, you'll see his power and might. You'll see his love and his wisdom, and he'll just spill out of you then. You won't be able to stop praising him. But many of us aren't there yet because we don't wait. We take control. We're impatient. He says, your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Again, back to the start of the message. Much is at stake here. People will make decisions about God based on whether they see supernatural tendencies in our life. And they won't see that if we're impatient and just take control and just do the human thing. And we begin to see here that the question, am I patient, is a question completely related to another one. Do I trust God? Do I trust God? If we trust God, we will pursue godly character. If we trust God, we will say, oh, show integrity. God's going to take care of me. I will be a humble person. God will lift me up. I will be patient because God will come through. And so a lot of times we respond with our character, well, I need to grow a little bit there. And yeah, it's maybe hurting my relationships a little bit. Not that big of a deal. But it's a big deal because it's showing whether we trust him or not. It's saying to God, I trust you or I don't trust you. Psalm 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. When we fret, I love that word, that's a good word. When we fret, we're saying, I don't trust God. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to be tempted to fret. I'm not saying we're never going to fail in that or get anxious. But when we walk in it, we're saying, I don't trust God. When we take matters into our own hands, we're saying, I don't trust you, God. I don't really believe that you're just, that you're going to solve these issues in my life. In Isaiah chapter 30, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. May that just be burned into our hearts. Blessed for all, are all, all those who wait for him. We will be absolutely blessed. I have a friend who is struggling this last couple of weeks because of a health challenge in, in his family. His child's uh, sick right now. And again, I'm not suggesting it's easy to distrust all the time. It's just an automatic thing. And this week, uh, he was struggling to sleep because he was worried about whether this kid was going to make it through the night. And I can completely understand that as a parent. Um, you have these fears. And he told me that, that as he struggled to sleep, he, he just realized it was a question of whether he was going to trust God. And, and again, we shouldn't say those things flippantly. I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm suggesting that we only trust God when we just always automatically just trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. I mean, sometimes there's a battle. We need, to, we need to walk towards trust when we're tested. But he testified to, to asking that question of himself and releasing his child to God and being able to go to sleep. And God will do great things like that and 
far greater things than that even if we'll just trust in him. It's difficult. We love to take control. We love certainty. Isn't that true? We love certainty. We want to know what's going to happen. Oh, it's, it's hard not to know. And why do we struggle so much with that? It's because we've given ourselves over to the principles of the world. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But we're going to look at Colossians 2 here. Because Paul uh, shows us what the principles of the world are. Or he, he uses that as an example. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The principles of this world are the rules and the patterns that we live by. It's, it's how we respond to our environment, our, our challenges, our opportunities. That's what the principles of the world are. They have their, their own rules. And the principles of this world include the world that we live in, if you have a problem or even a wonderful opportunity, you take charge and make it happen. That's our world. That's the principle of this world. We are considered weak if we don't do it on our own. And one of the things that's happened in this region, this is a wonderful region in many ways because there's a strong work ethic, but it also at times goes to an extreme where we trust in ourselves. We trust in ourselves and then nothing supernatural happens in our lives the basic principles of the world. And so that's why it's so difficult for us. And we, we're bombarded with this, these principles. But Paul says it's hollow, it's deceptive, and we know that. If I were to sit down one-on-one -on -one with any of you and talk about this, we both could share stories of how it doesn't bring us freedom in life. It doesn't. Not one bit, because it doesn't work. You begin to realize quickly you can't control everything. And, and, and then, again, you, we, some who have more money can maybe arrange things a little bit more, but eventually that ends. That doesn't work either. The basic principle of the world. Instead of that, we need to rely on Christ, it says. What does that mean? First of all, we need to look at him, his example. He faced many challenges as he walked this earth, and he was patient in them. He entrusted himself to the Father and the Father's plan. You might say, well, it was easy for him. He knew it was going to work out. He knew he was going to be resurrected. You think that was easy? And God is willing to also give us promises about what he's going to do for us. Where we struggle is waiting on the promises. Jesus waited on the promises. And we also rely on Christ in that we get our trust and our patience right from him. He is our lifeline. This is why we talk about devotions. This is why we talk about spending time in his presence. Because we can't be patient Patience, patient without his life. To try to live this without time with him is impossible. We won't have it in us. I don't, you don't. So we need him. And so I'm just going to read this verse again, and it's out of the scripture, but I just want you to imagine I'm speaking to you. We're sitting down one-on-one, -on -one and you're struggling there's a difficulty in your life. There's something that you're hoping for, dreaming for. See to it that no one takes you, friend, captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. This past week, I read a book that, that I wasn't planning on reading, but I really believe it was a God thing, that God had me read it. Read it. And it tells the story of this guy who was a missionary, and he was, he was a he was a preacher, he, was, he started a Bible college, all kinds of stuff. 
And I hesitate to even mention what he did because right away we tune out then and say, well, it's impossible for me when we hear his life of faith. But he chose to wait on God, just like we're talking about. He wanted to wait on God in all things. And he discovered that God always came through. And I'll just share a little bit of his story here, or, or just an example. He was a missionary in Africa for a while, and, and he had made a decision earlier in his life to never ask for money from people. If he was in need, he would take it to the Lord. And I'm not suggesting that you're a person that has lack of faith if you ever ask for money. But, but there's a principle there that we, we actually need to rely on God more. So he would do this. He had to go to a different district in Africa, and he needed to take the train, but he only had enough money to get to a certain point. So he said, God, I'm going to trust you to provide because you've asked me to go. I'm going to trust you to provide. So I'm going to go as far as I can on the train until I run out of money, and then I'll wait on you some more. So he did that. Went to the next train station, no more money. Had friends with him, but he wasn't going to ask them for money. So he's sitting there waiting, and eventually he got to the point, as he got closer for the train to leave, got to the point where he said, God, how exactly are you answering this one? <laughs> now, his story is powerful. Like, by that point, he didn't doubt. He had experienced God so many times. But he was curious about how God was going to answer. So he sends the Holy Spirit saying to him, what would you do right now if you had the money? Well, he said, I'd go stand in line. Go stand in line in faith. So he went in line. Now, we're always worried about embarrassment. We are. We're worried about embarrassing ourselves. God's not as worried about that in our lives, <laughs> but us risking embarrassment. And you know what? God isn't going to call us to regularly step out and embarrass ourselves. No, no, no. But he'll call us to do things that we think will end up in embarrassment. So he, he ended up in line, about 14 people there. He's getting closer and closer. And he, as he's in line, he's praising God. God, thank you for the deliverance that's coming. Thank you for how you're going to provide. Again, this was authentic praise because he had seen this in his life so many times. So he gets closer and closer. Now there's only two people in front of him. And he's still praising God. And then just before he gets to the window, all of a sudden somebody in the crowd nearby says, oh, this is taking too long. I got to go open my shop and hand him the money. Complete stranger. <laughs> and I think, oh boy, that stuff never happens in my life. Do you wait on God? Would you and I wait on God like that? Would we even have headed out on the trip at that time? Would we have even obeyed God until all the finances or plans were in place? Probably we would have waited till the certainty was there. And so this can happen in our lives. I really believe that. If we will wait and depend on Christ. As we wait, there's certain things we can do. In Romans chapter 12, it, it maps out some things we can stay busy with as we wait. Because waiting isn't always just lying in our bed, kind of, okay, when's this going to happen? No, there's stuff we can do as we wait. It says, be glad for all God is planning for you. That's what that missionary did. He praised God. And that's what we have to do. That's faith, saying, God, I thank you. And it's not, I'm not talking about a faith that's not based on a promise of God. I'm not, I'm not talking about just saying, God, I praise you for the house three times the size I'm going to get the, of the one I have right now. No, no, no. I'm talking about where God has said, I want to do this in your life. We need to praise them, even though when we don't see the results. It also says, be patient in trouble and always be prayerful. We need to pray because it's in our prayer time that we get hope. Because often our circumstances won't give us any hope. And if we just live in the midst of our circumstances, we will be hopeless and our waiting will stop. But when we go into God's presence, 
He gives us hope. Last night after the service, ironically, I was presented with three ministry challenges within an hour. And I thought, okay, great, I'm going to be tested on what I just preached on. And one of them, if I look at the circumstances, seems I don't see a way out. I don't see how the challenge is going to be met. And, and I tell you, everything in me wanted to solve those problems immediately last night. I thought it'd be so nice to get those things out of my mind by the time I have to get up tomorrow morning and preach. But I just preached on patience. And so I said, Lord, I just wait on you. And he gave me hope in his presence. That's what happens when we pray, when we wait. Another thing that happens when we pray while we wait is we protect ourselves from waiting too long. Because that's a possibility. And that's the question maybe some of you might have been asking. Isn't there a time where we should act, maybe challenge somebody or do something with our finances or whatever? Yes, there are times. That's why we keep praying as we wait. Because the Holy Spirit then can say to us, up off your knees, it's time to act. The answer has come. Or you're going to be part of the answer, so I want you to go do something right now. And when we pray, it protects us from the flip side extreme of impatience, and that is procrastination. That, you know, one thing this week I was like, oh God, I'm worried about this message because some people procrastinate and they wait too long. Well, prayer solves that. <laughs> it really does. And, and I just want to address something here. This is a little bit of bonus. Uh, for you this morning. And it may not seem like a bonus if you're a procrastinator, but whatever, pray about it later on. In our society, we act like procrastination is cute or kind of, oh, well, big deal, I procrastinate. I'm a procrastinator. For a believer, if it's procrastinating about growing in godliness, it's not cute, it's sin. So much procrastination comes out of fear. If we were to admit it, say, oh, I'm just a procrastinator. No, very likely we might be a person who's afraid and doesn't trust God. Or we might be selfish. I mean, and I'm saying this, I'm not, I'm not, my intention is not to bring guilt upon anybody. But many times over the years, I've heard people say, I will get involved in the body of the church in a little while. And I can meet them sometimes years later, still procrastinating out of selfishness. And so prayer solves that. That's what I love about prayer, is that it corrects our misperceptions of what's going on. And so take that to prayer. So we pray as we wait. And finally it says, when God's children are in need, be the one to help them out and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging, invite them for the night. While we wait, we still do good. We don't wait till the deliverance comes, then do good. And, and this is what this, this author that I, that I read about uh, talked about. Many times his biggest answers to prayer would only come when... He acted in that area first, in some way. I'm not talking about taking control where he planted some kind of seed. So if he needed financial help, he would give to somebody. If he, would, if he needed some kind of service towards himself, he would serve somebody. I'll just give a quick example. One time he needed 40 pounds. He was from Britain. He needed 40 pounds to pay for the property taxes for the Bible college that he was running. And he didn't, he didn't have the money. He had about 9, 10 pounds. And so he, he decided... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow that principle I learned. I'm going to give. And most of us wouldn't do that. If we're short, we don't give. We wait till we have enough and overflow. Then we give, right? But he learned to wait on God and plant seeds that will, will end up in answered prayers. So he had a friend that had a need of about eight pounds. He thought, well, I have enough to meet my friend's need. I don't have enough to meet my need. 
So I'm going to give the money to my friend. Went and gave the money to the friend, went back to the Bible college, and there was a check waiting for him for 40 pounds. And, and whoa, that, wouldn't that be wonderful to happen in your own life? When I say, yeah, I like the result, not necessarily the, the trusting in it. But this is what we need to do. Some people come in sometimes and they say, I need help, I need help. I've been in this for years. And the best thing we can do again is go out and bless somebody in some way and just trust God for the results. And so patience is a good thing. Awesome things will happen in our lives. And there's one more thing I'm going to address this morning in our remaining time is I want to talk about repentance for a few minutes. I have wanted to preach on repentance for two years now. And in the last couple of weeks, I was like, oh, I want to preach on patience, but I want to preach on repentance. I couldn't decide. So last Monday, I was at Lake of the Woods with some friends, and, and I went for a walk, and I'm like, hey, God, if you don't tell me which one to preach on, I'm going to do both, okay? And so some of you are very worried right now. You think, is he going into another message right now? No, I'm not. We're just going to touch upon it. A little bit of a taste. Because, and here's why I want to go there. It can be frustrating for us if we talk about all these godly characteristics, but then don't know how to change. I mean, it can be. And so how do we change? Repentance is a pathway to change. Repentance literally means to change. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 is a passage that changed uh, my way of thinking a couple of years ago when I was struggling with something because I was, I was like, how do I change this, really? And this passage brought light onto it. Godly sorrow, Paul says, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. He contrasts godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. What's worldly sorrow? This is worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is when we hear God's call in our life and we're bothered by it. It's, it's an inconvenience to us. Worldly sorrow in the area of character is when we feel a twinge of conscience or we fall in shortened character and we act like, oh, I wish I didn't have to live this way. That's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is selfish. It's based on self-pity. We feel sorry for ourselves. And again, there's always consequences to bad character. We show bad character. We experience the consequences. Worldly sorrow is like, oh, I can't believe I have to go through this now. I have to go through this now. It's prideful worldly sorrow. It argues with God's standards. It says, I don't like these standards. I just want eternal life. I don't want to live this way. It compares. These people are far worse than me. I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, maybe I do a little bit of stealing or stuff like that, but I'm not like them. And, and again, we can't be at peace because, because, again, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you and he's convicting you. That's worldly sorrow. Never at peace. And this is what it says. It, le- it brings death because we don't take responsibility for falling short and with no responsibility is no repentance. Death. So we don't want that one. Cross that one off, worldly sorrow. What's godly sorrow? And again, I don't have much time here, but let me say this. Godly sorrow is humble. Godly sorrow is where we go before God and we don't argue. It's where we say, I have fallen short. Godly sorrow admits that he determines what the goals are, the standards. Godly sorrow goes before him and says, let's say last week, that was a great message on integrity. It's not self-righteous. It says, God, I see that I have that integrity or lack of integrity in my life. It's just, it might even be one little thing, but godly sorrow is broken over that. And, and I, I, I believe our church is growing in that. I'm seeing this, and, and it encourages me to grow 
in embracing godly sorrow. I hear more and more people saying, not, oh, I gave up the drugs. Now I'm great. I hear more and more people saying, yeah, I gave up drugs and I gave up stealing and I gave up porn and I gave up anger, but boy, am I broken when my motives aren't even right. Am I ever broken when, when I, I don't encourage somebody when I had an opportunity? That's godly sorrow. He might say, why would I want to sign up for that? Sorrow, the, literally the word means pain of mind or body. Why would we want to go there? Because that's the only pathway to salvation and no regret. That's what it says in there. That's the pathway. And here's the good news. It doesn't take forever. It doesn't. Think about this. Even, even in terms of a cost-benefit analysis, a few days of letting God break something in us and us being sorrowful over it is worth a lifetime of improved character, isn't it? If you think about it that way, it's awesome. And I'm, again, 35 years old, I'm not going to even suggest that I know exactly what I'm talking about. I've had godly sorrow in my life, some, and God's changed me, but I'm relying on the testimony of people who are far older than me or who have gone on before me, who have passed away now, and they testify that it doesn't last forever, the godly sorrow. But at times, we just need to go before God, humble ourselves and say, God, I'm not a person of patience. God... I've made rationalizations. I'm not a person of integrity. I, I don't love the way I can love. And let him work in our lives in that. Go through the death process. That's what it is. It's dying to self. And you'll see life come. And we come full circle here. Again, we said that God loves us. And so God invites us to humble ourselves before him so that we'll experience the salvation and no regret that Paul talks about early in the second, earlier in 2 Corinthians. And we'll finish with this. Paul says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. Can you imagine saying that? Say essentially, I think I've had great character. I don't have to correct any wrongs. I've I've done good. To get to that place, oh my goodness, that would be awesome. And it's possible to grow in that and grow in character, but we're going to need repentance. We need to humble ourselves. So you know what? That's what we're going to do right now at the end of the message here. We're just going to humble ourselves in prayer. Prayer is an act of humility, acknowledging that we're not alone. We're not in control. Father, I just come to you right now. We come to you. And we admit that we're not like Jesus yet. <laughs> um, we try to act like that sometimes, but, but we admit that there's stuff, uh, outward stuff and inward stuff. And so we ask you to take us on a journey of change in our character. Um, God, the things you've spoken to us in this series already, I pray that you just keep bringing them up inside of us. I ask God that you will minister to us powerfully in that way. And uh, God, we just want to shine our light. That's ultimately what we want to do. We know much is at stake. And so, would you do this work? And uh, God, I just want to pray that uh, you take us into your school and teach us what godly sorrow really is. And when we're in those moments, God, I pray that you will protect us from the lies of the evil one who will tell us that it's going to take forever. God, help us to be patient people through the power of your spirit. I close with a prayer found in God's word. May God himself 
the God of peace sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, soul, and bodies be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.